You can have a seat. Like I said, we begin a brand new series in the book of 1 Peter that we call Counter Culture. And so you can open up your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of 1 Peter, towards the back of your Bibles. Or you can always cheat and look it up in the table of contents, which <laughs> a lot of us are cheaters here, including myself, so that's all right. Um, or you can make it super easy on yourself and just grab your phone and pull up your Bible app. We even have it on our church app. And First uh, Peter chapter 1, if you're following along with us, we're going to begin in verse 13. So you can kind of hold your finger there if you would like. Now the steam was slowly rising off the water as the little fishing boats cut through the sea. And the Mediterranean sun had just begun to crest over those hills and it sent a blinding glare that sparkled over the water. And as the men were forced to shade their eyes, they could hear a faint voice from shore. They squinted trying to make out the figure who had his hands cupped over his mouth, was yelling, Catch anything! Now, you know, a fisherman doesn't mind the question when the fishing was good, right? It gives him an excuse to sort of brag about how great of a fisherman he really is. But when the fishing is bad, well, the question just sort of feels like uh, a jab to the pride, <laughs> And that's the way the men took it on this day. They were exhausted, hungry, and sore from fishing 10 hours straight without anything to show for it. And so they responded with the kind of grumpiness that you might expect. It was just a very abrupt no. And the man from shore, obviously not very good with social cues, hollered back, well, you know what? You boys ought to try. Now, this again didn't sit too well with the guys. <laughs> because if he were a fisherman himself, well, he obviously would have already been out on the water. No, he was just some nosy villager who was offering up advice that he had no business giving. It would probably be a lot like me talking to some of you who are, say, like mechanics and saying, you know what you ought to do, what you ought to try. Well, the next time your car doesn't run, just open up that hood and jiggle around some of that wire. It's worked for me in the past. Right? And you'd, you just have to hold your tongue because that's the dumbest thing you've ever heard. Oh, the fishermen on this day, well, they're going to have to try to hold their tongue. Because the man from shore actually then suggested, try show, throwing your net on the right side. Of the boat. At this point, most of the guys just ignored him, kept their heads down, continued paddling, muscling the boat to shore. But there was one, one of the disciples in the back of the boat. He figured, well, there was no, no harm in throwing one last cast. And so he slipped the net over the side of the boat into the water. And the boat suddenly plunged downward towards that side because the net filled up with fish so quickly. And that's when John, who was sitting next to Peter in the bow of the boat, felt the deja vu. 
Oh, you see, this had happened a time before. And he quietly said to Peter, I I think it might be him. Peter, like normal, he was a little bit clueless. And so John then had to yell at him, that's Jesus. And all the other guys, all they heard was a splash as Peter was already in the water, frantically swimming towards shore. The other disciples, they finally dragged the boat up onto the sand and they gathered around the fire that Jesus had made. They roasted up some fish and biscuits. And after breakfast, Jesus pulls Peter aside to have sort of a a private conversation. And he says, hey, Pete, you love me, right? Okay, then. He says, feed my sheep. He's telling him to do what he's been called to do. This, in John chapter 21, was Peter's wake-up call. You see, he had spent three life-altering years with Jesus, seeing and being a part of so many miraculous things. I mean, things that will change a man. And yet, after Jesus' death, Peter finds himself living the same way that he always had before. He just, he went back to fishing. He just gravitated back to his old way of living. And so Jesus, he gives Peter the wake-up call that he is going to need to later become the church leader that he becomes as we read on into the book of Acts. And then Peter will later, of course, write this letter of 1 Peter, and he is really going to give the same kind of wake-up call. The question that he will pose, really, for all Christians to wrestle with is if we've given our life to God, are we still trying to live it our way, or are we doing it his it's one that we'll likely wrestle with all throughout this series of 1 Peter. You see it over and over again. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've never quite been sure what to do with Jesus, or you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, man, the sermon today is going to be a great one for you. <laughs> because you're going to get a really good idea of what it really means to live the Christian life and at the same time, without any pressure. It's great. You may hear some great life principles in Peter's words. And you can go and you can apply and use them for free. And whatever you don't like, you just leave right here. It's great, no pressure. For those of us who are Christians... The pressure's going to be on just a little bit. It's probably not uh, the kind of morning where we just get to simply sit back and, you know, enjoy all the great stories. First Peter just isn't that kind of book. He's likely going to rattle our world a little bit, I would imagine. Because he will instruct us to live in such a way 
where risk is involved, where we will seem bizarre (laughs) to those around us, and where certainly we will encounter resistance. You see, this very well may be our wake-up call. So in 1 Peter, if you're following along, in chapter 1, verse 13, He says this, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now... You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Now, it's probably unlikely that any of us have ever really considered ourselves holy, right? We know that we got our flaws. We know our poop stinks. We are flawed people. And yet God's idea of holiness, when it's spoken of the Bible, is really just to be unique. In fact, in the Old Testament, you will find God always telling his people to be different than all the other nations around them. The Hebrew word for holy literally means to be set apart. And so our call to holiness is to look noticeably different than the world around us. Peter will challenge us to not settle for living by the ordinary standards that culture has set. No, be more than just ordinary. You know, it's funny how often we feel the pressure to fit in with everyone else, but yet ordinary is almost always used as a dirty word. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that they aspire to be ordinary. Someone may ask, how's his job performance? Oh, it's just ordinary. Not exactly a vote of confidence, right? Or someone may ask, you know, I've never met your wife. What's she like? Mm, Careful. Because you better not dare say ordinary. See, ordinary is something indistinguishable from the rest of the crowd. It's the accepted norm. No one gets excited about ordinary because it hardly ever even gets noticed. It's why when a guy goes out on a on a date with a girl that he might be really interested in. And his friend might give him that conventional wisdom, just be yourself. Oh, he's hardly ever going to take up that advice because he at least wants a shot with the girl. And so as guys, well, we will go to great lengths to convince the girl that there is nothing ordinary about us. Oh no, we are one in a million You better get on board with this love train before it leaves the station. That's, you see, that's what we want you to believe. (laughs) 
In fact, in a dating relationship, you know, if a guy ever loses his uniqueness, well, then he is in real trouble. If you're young and you're single, guys, if she ever says, you're just like every other guy I've dated, she is not trying to pay you a compliment. (laughs) And chances are at some point, Well, you may have stopped doing what once really made you stand out. Sometimes we can even go through the same process of settling for ordinary in our relationship with God. Oh, the honeymoon phase was great. When we first accepted Jesus into our lives and we fell in love with him, And we felt like there was nothing to lose and everything to gain by following Jesus, no matter the cost. But somewhere along the line, well, maybe, maybe we began to believe that it would be better to play it safe and to allow ourselves to look eerily similar to those around us. Like Peter, maybe we in some ways have just simply gone back to the old ways of doing things. And so if maybe you would examine your own life and you would go, man, maybe I've lost a bit of that holiness. Well, this is the wake-up call. In Peter's day, the issue of being set apart or blending in was especially challenging for the Christians. It was the mid-60s AD, and a man named Nero sat on the throne of Rome. He was a ruthless emperor, an egomaniac who considered nothing out of bounds when dealing with his opponents. And during his reign, there was this massive fire that broke out in the city of Rome. It burned throughout the city for six days, devastating three-quarters of it, killing hundreds, leaving thousands homeless. And the blaze seemed suspicious. And many people began to suspect that it was Nero's doing because, you see, he had always wanted to rebuild the city and rename it after himself. And so to deflect blame, well, he decided to pin this one on the Christians, whom he had already begun to see as a threat to his empire. See, the Roman citizens, they believed their emperors to be divine, to even act on behalf of their many gods, but this growing group of Christians, oh, well, they began to spoke of a new kingdom and a new king to come. And so as you can imagine, well, the emperor considered such talk treasonous. And so with the accusation of arson, Nero rounded up the Christians They were tortured. They were put to death in the worst of ways. They were often made into human torches by being smothered in tar, put on high posts, and lit to light the emperor's evening events. Can you imagine 
living with the fear of facing such persecution. The pressure to just blend in and claim, oh, I'm not one of those Christians. It's the temptation to, to sort of live with more of a secret faith. And in our culture today, the, the pressure doesn't often come from the physical threat of violence. It's normally much more subtle. Maybe the fear of ridicule. Or unfair treatment. Maybe for you, it's rejection. But Peter will express that living a secret life will never equate to living a holy life which is really what we are called to do. To live a life that is honoring to God, to serve his purposes more than just our own, and to even influence the world by looking different than the world. In verse 13, if you still got your Bibles open, you can glance back there. We already read it. But Peter mentions a few things in there that I think are really important in becoming holy or, or set apart in the way that we would live for God. And the first is he mentions with our minds. Now, we were probably all taught this at an early age when mom repeatedly used some sayings with us. You can probably repeat some that you heard over and over again as a child. I want to give you one example, and um, you can see if you can even guess the blanks here, all right? I'll let you fill those in, okay? Do it with me. If all of your friends jumped off a cliff, oh, okay, good. Some say bridge, that's cool. Would you jump too? It's interesting, yeah, some people say bridge, some people say cliff. I would imagine it's because for some of you, when mom said, would you jump off a bridge, you started asking too many questions. Well, how high is it? Is there water down there? Right? So mom had to sort of up the ante a little bit. Cliff, really high, no water, t death. All right, death. So if your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump too? And it was such a reasonable conclusion that, I mean, it was nearly impossible to argue with such logic. Am I right? Some of you as parents now, you may even find yourselves repeating this line or others similar to it. And isn't that a horrible moment when you realize, oh, I sound just like my mother, <laughs> right? Or maybe it's your father. But moms, dads, see, you get to be vindicated. Because now that we are so much more wise and mature, mm -hmm, we know this principle to be true. What we allow ourselves to be influenced by will shape who we become. And so the Bible, it will repeatedly tell us to focus our minds on what is godly more than on what is just earthly. Let me give you a couple of great verses in Colossians 3.2. It says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. 
And Romans 12.2, we read this one often because it's so great. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. We become transformed because whenever we give more and more thought to God and his word, the closer we will tend to draw towards him. It's actually not even much different than our human relationships. The more I focus on the endearing qualities of my wife, the more drawn into relationship with her I will tend to become. And the opposite is true as well. When I spend very little time focused on her, the more time I spend on the couch, there becomes that distance between us. And sometimes we become distant from God, not even because we made some sort of conscious decision to walk away from him, but because we just sort of forgot to keep our minds focused on him. So this morning, I'm not even sure what that might mean for you. Maybe it means that you listen to more Christian music throughout your day. I don't, I don't really know. Certainly, it might mean for many that you develop the habit of reading the Bible on your own. Maybe for some, it's that you would attend church more regularly. Maybe being a part of a small group that will begin this fall where a group of people gather each week to reflect on God's word and to talk about it. All of those, man, great, great things. You may even have some of your own that would tend to really hone you in and focus your mind on God. And when we grow closer to him, by default, we begin to grow more distant from the kind of lifestyles and priorities that this world values. We will naturally find ourselves more set apart. Peter also mentions that we are holy then with our actions And the world so often encourages us, right, to satisfy our own urges. Do whatever it is that makes you feel good or makes you happy. Oh, but Peter, well, he, he speaks of self-control. In fact, if you got your Bibles open, you might see there in verse 13, most of your Bibles are going to read, um, something like prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. But if you're really lucky and you got an old translation, like say the King James Version, you're going to see an odd phrase there used that didn't translate so well into English. Because what Peter literally says is gird up your loins. Yikes. <laughs> that probably began to be translated differently because we're not even sure if that's appropriate to say in church, right? Loins. 
earmuffs, children. The pastor just used loins. <laughs> but in the Greek, it, it actually was a word picture that was common in the first century. Unfamiliar to us, however, because fashion has changed just a tad bit since then. See, the men, they would typically wear these robes. Oh, and they were all the rage. Oh, they were great, comfy. Until, of course, there was some manly work to do, right? And then the robes, well, they just started getting in the way. And so what the men would do is they would gird up their loins, which meant that they would take the bottom of the robe and they would pull it up underneath their legs here and they would get it in between their belt and they would tie it up. Today we might call something like that a giant man diaper, (laughs) right? So now that you got that mental image... (laughs) But that's how they would, they would free themselves up to, to run or, or get prepared to do some manly, some, some physical labor. And so the idea there is that we would act on what God says in his word. And not only that, but that we would even anticipate the actions that we will take because of God's word. And even when it becomes difficult to do so. In fact, let me give you a question that you can consider, sort of ponder in your mind even throughout the week. It is this, how will our call to holiness require us to respond when the time comes? Man, I think that is such a great question to have tucked away in the back of our minds. Because one of the ways that we become so susceptible to temptation is by not anticipating it. It's difficult to think clearly oftentimes when you are in the midst of struggle and so it helps to have already determined how we will respond when we encounter it. To skip ahead just a little bit, in chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says this. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, prepare for it. Gird up your loins by discovering What God's word has to say about whatever it is you may encounter. It's the second reason, really, of why it's so important to make a regular habit of getting into and reading God's word on your own. Right? The first is because we know it grows us closer to God. But the second is because we become better prepared for life. To not just conform to the world's ordinary standards, but to live the kind of life that God really has always destined us to live from the get-go. 
Another thing that Peter mentions in there is uh, to be set apart with our hope. In our culture, if you think about it, most people's hope is only in pursuing comfort or happiness. So we're encouraged to do such things like make more money, acquire more stuff, you know, really make a name for ourselves. All the things that we would oftentimes think of with success. But Peter speaks of holding on to a greater hope. He challenges us to live and to make decisions with eternity in mind. To not trade our eternal for what may be temporal. And I don't know about you, but for me, that has always been just a really convicting thought. Like I, I wonder, man, how often do I make decisions based on, say, instant gratification as opposed to what I really look forward to for all eternity? It tends to sort of begin to reveal where it is that we've really placed our hope. Many people uh, may know of Vincent van Gogh as being a brilliant artist. His paintings now sell for millions of dollars, probably. But really, he used to be just unknown during his lifetime. In his lifetime, he was only able to sell one of the thousands of pictures he painted, and he sold that one for $50. His life was really kind of a tragic one, ending in suicide at the age of 37. And what most people may not know about Van Gogh is that he was not only a painter, but he was also a pastor. He got a start in his early 20s when he began working at this art gallery during the day. And he would spend his evening walking the streets of London, talking to people about Jesus. When he was 25, he became a pastor of a small church in Belgium. It was in this little mining community. And the people there were just dirt poor. Living, some of them, in just dire circumstances. And Van Gogh, he would follow the people into the mine and talk to them about life and Jesus as they worked. But somewhere along the line, he began spending less and less time focused on the hope found in Jesus. And more time focused on trying to capture the pain in life. So he would take the coal home from the mine and he would begin to sketch the hardship and the poverty of, of these people's lives. He began to spend so much time picturing the pain in life that he began to no longer be able to find the hope in God. And so he ended up quitting the ministry and he moved to Paris where he would become a painter instead of a preacher. And he traded 
a hope for what was eternal, for really a focus on what was temporal, which is something that we're all susceptible to. In fact, Jesus would say it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. I'll read it for you, or it's up on the screen. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Hey, listen. If we were more focused on eternity than we were on what is earthly, what would we be doing differently in our lives right now? Peter later is going to add to having a hope somewhere else by also telling us to live as foreigners. In, uh, in 1 Peter there, one seventeen, he says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners. Here in reverent fear. A bit later, in chapter 2, verse 11, he's going to say it again. He says, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a situation where you might have suffered some homesickness. But if you have, you may know a bit about what it feels like to be a foreigner. It's when you've got your feet there, yes, but your heart is somewhere else. And maybe it's even necessary for you to be there right now. You might even enjoy there for now. But the thought sticks with you that at some point, you know you're going home. When I was in college, I lived in Mexico for a year, and one of the things that I always did was I carried around a camera with me everywhere I went. And that was 17 years ago, so it wasn't uh, as easy as just carrying around the cell phone in the pocket. It was a little more of a concerted effort. And I took pictures of all the adventures that I would take, and I can remember with each picture feeling the excitement of knowing that I would soon be able to show these off to my friends and family, to share all of these experiences with them. At the time, I knew I was a foreigner there, that I was going to be headed back home. And for Christians who finally get to their eternal home with God, oh man, I bet you, God is going to look forward to that slideshow where we with him get to look back over all the scenes of our life and we get to see, we get to even show him what of his blessings we enjoyed the most. What good things did we do with the kind of skills and the giftings that he gave us? Or even what adventures, what risks did we take just because of our faith in him? 
And the great thing is that the ugly photos won't really be a part of that. <laughs> we don't have to, re- we don't have to uh, review the ugly scenes of life, the ones that we've already be- been forgiven for. We get to celebrate with him over the things that we do here as foreigners as we look forward to being home with him. And we long to be home with God because ultimately we know that that is where we will experience the most love. In fact, you may have even heard the expression before, probably, right? Home is where the heart is. And so our feet may be here, but our heart belongs to God, we will say. And Peter reminds us of how valued and loved we are by him. He says so here in 1 Peter 1, verse 18 says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. You know, it is a, it's a crazy thing to think that before even the, crea- even the creation of the world, that God had a plan to restore relationship with us that would be broken because of our sin. And it wasn't with such things as just mere silver or gold. It was something far more valuable. It was the very life of Jesus. See, God has already proven how he feels about us. And so we now love him. Well, because he first loved us. We would even now make sacrifices in our life that might set us apart in our culture because he first sacrificed for us. We put all of our hope in God because he first placed his hope in us by redeeming a sinful people. And giving us Jesus as a Savior. It's a miraculous thing that we celebrate each week. We do that through communion. We'll take that in just a moment. But it reminds us that God gave his flesh and blood as a sacrifice for us. So that by it, our sins may be forgiven. That a relationship with him can be restored. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never heard it, you've never heard of Jesus, or maybe you're, you're never quite sure what to do with him, maybe even today would be your wake-up call. The day of salvation, where you would go, wow, Brent, that seems like a pretty extreme life, but you know what? I actually think I want it. 
and you would accept Jesus for the very first time, you can talk with me after the service or during communion. We have some people in the back that would love to talk and pray with you. Maybe today's your day. You've had a wake-up call. For Jesus, he gave his life so that we could live for more than just this life. And so the question that Peter leaves us to wrestle with is, after giving my life to him, am I still living it my way or am I living it his? Am I growing closer to God so that I'll look more like him and maybe less like the culture around me? Am I learning what God's word says so that I'll be prepared to stand for him even when it becomes difficult to do so? Am I planning? Am I making decisions with eternity in mind? The, uh, The Greek storyteller, Aesop, he wrote a fable about a hunter and a woodsman And I will leave you with this. The hunter, he traveled a great distance from home in search of the prized but very elusive lion. And as he searched the forest for any evidence of the lion, he came across a woodsman that was falling trees. The hunter assumed him to be familiar with the area. And so he asked him if he had seen any lion tracks? And the woodsman replied, Oh, I have not only seen the tracks, but I know where the lion's den is. And so to the hunter, this woodsman, he made an incredible offer. He said, I will take you to the lion himself. And at this, color just drained out of the hunter's face. His teeth began to chatter in fear. Oh no, (laughs) no thank you, he said. I did not ask to encounter the lion himself, for I only wanted to see his tracks. May we be a people and a church that are never content to simply look for the evidence or maybe the blessings of God, but who genuinely seek to encounter him through relationship. To experience him in such a way that we would never be the same. To do relationship with him so that we might be changed. So that we may find ourselves becoming more and more like him holy and set apart let me pray for us lord god would you would you help us lord may our prayer be that we would become more and more like you thank you for your example and we thank you for your life in which you not only live to show us how to do it but that you gave as a sacrifice for our sin. And so, Lord, through communion 
as we take some time just to sit on our own several minutes, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this moment, that you would continue to speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would even speak to you about what it means to be holy or set apart. Maybe even, God, we would allow ourselves to be examined, that you would examine our hearts this morning. And so in these next minutes, God, as we just simply sit in silence with our little cracker and our juice, remembering your sacrifice, your body and your blood, would you be with us and speak, we pray. In your name, amen.